Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice Podcast based on projections, episode 33. I'm your host, Pavel Berminski, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. So today we'll do something a bit different. Let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Alan Depp. Alan is a serial entrepreneur, rebellious marketer, and best-selling author. Alan has started and grown multiple businesses in various industries, including IT, telecommunications, and marketing. One of his previous startups was in the telecommunications industry, where he faced heated competition from multi-billion dollar multinational competitors. In four years, Alan grew his business from a startup to being named by Business Review Weekly as one of Australia's fastest growing companies in the country, earning a spot on the coveted BRW Fast 100 list. Alan is also the best-selling author of the one-page marketing plan, Get New Customers, Make More Money, and Stand Out from the Crowd. An international bestseller, his book has been named as one of the top 10 best marketing books by the Huffington Post and has received critical acclaim in Medium Inc., as well as in numerous business-focused podcasts, publications, and conferences. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, Pavel, wonderful to be on the show. Wonderful. Okay, Alan, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast, so let's jump right in. So just to give listeners uh, a bit of context, I've learned about you a while ago, it's probably a year and a half ago, when a friend of mine, a very successful business owner, shared the one-page marketing plan with me, and I was intrigued, but honestly, I wasn't expecting a lot. And what I found is just a brilliant resource to take someone from not really, not being familiar with marketing to doing good marketing record time. So since then, whenever somebody asked me a marketing question, I first really referred them to your book. And uh, so thank you very much for saving me time. That's been awesome. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm so glad it's a helpful resource. <laughs> yeah. And really, the reason why I wanted to have you on a podcast is because sometimes I meet great, fantastic financial advisors. I mean, that's the market we serve and wealth managers. And you know what? They don't have nearly as much success as they deserve because you know they simply are not great at marketing. So I want to change that. So with that, you know, let's start with, uh, in your words, you know, how would you describe what you do and who do you serve right now? Yeah, so right now I serve small business owners generally with my one-on-one coaching services by application only and I serve clients who are usually doing about $500,000 up to $20 million in revenue. I like working with the business owners directly. I don't really like working with large corporates and executive teams and things like that. I just don't find it fun. So I love working with business owners who can just take action, move really fast and get things implemented. So that's what I love doing on a day-to-day basis. And I'm, I'm blessed that I can do that every single day. That's wonderful. Okay. So we're in a group out here because there was a lot of independent financial advisors, you know, smaller practices, maybe one to two, let's say one to 10, 20 people. So I think this is a, this is a good, uh, good crowd here. So take me back to your early days. So, you know, how did your career really evolve? So you became such a successful marketer? Yeah, look, I didn't start anywhere near as a successful marketer. So that's a uh, pretty relatively recent development. I started my business life as a dead broke IT geek. I was good at the tech stuff. I was good at the IT. I was running at the time a managed service provider. And, you know, um, I'd quit my job at a large corporation and I thought, you know, why should I work for this idiot boss? I'm smart enough to to do all of this tech stuff. So what else do you need to know, right? So I started that business kind of like what Michael Gerber describes in his book, The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Seizure. So I decided, hey, I'm good at the tech stuff. I can start a tech business, no problem. And, you know, so I started and I, I took on a business partner as well. And, you know, things were going okay, but we just didn't have enough clients. Like the, we had a few clients. They really loved our service. They really loved our our work and everything like that, but we just didn't have enough of them. And I, I distinctly recall walking to lunch one one day with one of my business, with my business partner. And I, I was saying, look, everything in this business is great. We've got really good margins. We've got really good clients. We've just got this really small thing that we've got to figure out, which is called sales and marketing. <laughs> and <laughs> so that's really how clueless I was. I was mistaking major for minor. I thought we had the major thing covered and then we just got to cover off this minor thing, whereas it's really the other way around. The the product and the delivery is the, pro- the more minor thing than the sales and marketing and getting that right. So, so that's where I started life as an IT geek. And that probably took me on a long, painful, expensive journey 
journey of a decade trying to learn marketing because I just needed to get more clients in. I needed to get more revenue. And so I did everything by trial and error. I spent a lot of money and a lot of time trying to figure it out. I, I read books. I attended seminars, all of that sort of thing. Anyway, long story short, I grew that business through the power of direct response marketing. It ended up being a national business and I sold it for, for more money than I'd ever seen in my life. So that was my first business. Then then after that, I started a telecom business and now I had my marketing knowledge already and that business from zero to four years later, we grew to be one of Australia's top 100 fastest growing companies and I, I exited that as well and, and now I'm privileged to be helping small business owners really shortcut the process and implement the marketing themselves. So I'm having a really good time doing that. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the one-page marketing plan because this morning when I looked at Amazon, you had 978 reviews and not over 90% of them are five-star reviews. And I think additional 8% or 7% are, are four-star reviews. So, I mean, you've definitely created something that's incredibly valuable. And, you know, I've listened to the book, I think, several times, learned a lot. You know, again, my journey started in, on marketing started a while ago. So, you know, I, I listened to the, to the great ones and tried to implement as much as I could. But when I when I looked at the one-page marketing plan, I was, I was instantly hooked. So, so tell me, tell the listeners also as well, like what is the one-page marketing plan? Yeah, so the when I started coaching clients in this business, I started this business probably about two years ago, maybe two and a half. And I started coaching clients and I said, right, let's put together a marketing plan. And, you know, most of my clients didn't want to or they resisted or they just didn't do it. And it's because they felt that creating a marketing plan was very difficult, was very expensive, had to be like a long 50-page plan and all. And for the most part, they were right up until that point really marketing planning I think was stuck a little bit in the dark ages and I remember the first time I created a marketing and business plan in in my business it was a long document I used a consultant it was very thick and ended up in the top drawer of my desk until I never looked at it until I moved out of that office and threw it in the trash so I wanted to create a process that was easy for my clients to create a one-page marketing plan quickly easily and make it be something that is effective that they can use on a day-to-day basis and I came up with a process called the one-page marketing plan. So it was a process before it ever was a book. And I found that the compliance rates went way up. Once people knew it was a single page, it was an existing framework that they could implement straight away. People loved that and they implemented it and they used it and they benefited a lot. And that's why I thought I should get it out to a wider audience. And I've, I've put that in, in the form of a book. And as you say, it's really gotten a lot of traction. A lot of people have connected with the idea that you can create a sophisticated direct response marketing plan in a single page. And, you know, I get great feedback every single day from from readers and clients about it, and which is which is fantastic. So it's basically a process to help you plan your marketing in a single page. Excellent. Makes sense. And uh, I want to stress that even though this is just one page, I mean, it took you over 10 years, as you said earlier, to come up with a structure, perfect structure. And so, so this is the overnight success, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It took me 10 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> awesome. So, so okay. So let's maybe break this down for, for, for the listeners. So what is the structure? So how you describe the structure? What are the different phases? What are the components? You know, what are the biggest mistakes also people make, you know, those, those different phases? Let's maybe take this yeah. one by one. I don't know how much we'll be able to cover in the next, you know, 45 minutes or so, but hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to share some value. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So if you're in front of your computer, you can easily download a copy of the one-page marketing plan canvas at my website, which is successwise.com. That way you've got it in front of you while we're speaking. If you're driving or doing something, don't do anything dangerous. Just uh, listen along and I'll try and describe it as best I can. So basically, if you visualize a single sheet of paper and you split that up into nine squares, so three lots of three. So the first lot of three is what I call the, the before phase. The next lot of three is the during and the le- next lot of three is is the after phase. So that's basically the the simple structure. So it's essentially nine blocks split up into a single page canvas. And then we cover essentially the nine major things that you need to think about to take somebody from not knowing that you exist to becoming a client and a raving fan of your business and creating referrals for you. So we we take you through that whole nine-step process. And the idea is that you can start from scratch. You don't have to have any background in marketing. You don't have to have any knowledge or anything like that. And really, I wrote the process and I wrote the book 
I wrote the process in the book that I wish I had when I was first learning marketing because I would read books and I would read, go to seminars, and I got something valuable from almost everything that I read or attended or whatever, but it would be, you know, a little piece of the puzzle, another little piece of the puzzle, another little piece. And what I wanted to do with this book was create a comprehensive map so you know from start to end these are the things that you need to do to get more leads, more prospects, more clients in the door and create conversions and create referrals and upsell and create more value for clients. So I wanted something holistic that someone could just follow from step one through to step nine and be able to create that plan and be able to create that implementation in their business and as it relates to their marketing. Makes sense. Okay. So let's take it step by step. So what is the first component? Perfect. So the, the first component, and uh, this is hugely, hugely important, is selecting your target market. And, you know, the temptation often is to say, hey, everybody's our target market. Everybody needs financial planning or everyone needs IT services or everyone needs whatever, because as a small business owner, you often want to feel like you need to cast a wide net. And it's kind of counterintuitive, but you really want to focus in on on a very dedicated target market. You don't want to go too wide. And the reason for that, it kind of dovetails into the second step, but I'll come back to that in a moment. It's really all about finding out who is your absolute ideal target market and who are the people that you know with your eyes closed, you can help them get a result because they're going to be the, the net promoters of your business. I, I don't know if people listening know of a metric it's called the net promoter score it's basically you ask people on a on a scale of one to ten how much would you recommend us to a friend or a colleague and you know if they choose eight or nine they're a promoter if they choose one two three four they're a detractor and in in the middle they're kind of a, a passive and so you know the the whole idea behind it is And that a dollar from somebody who's a detractor or from a passive is not equal to a dollar from someone who is a promoter and will refer new business to you and, you know, pay on time and be an ideal kind of client to deal with. You know, even though your bank manager will say, you know, a dollar from that person is the same as a dollar from another person, that is absolutely not true. Because, you know, if you're dealing with clients who are difficult to deal with, who you you just hate waking up on a Monday morning and think, oh, no, I've got to deal with this guy, and they don't refer you and they pay late and all of that sort of stuff, it's not equal to someone who you love working with. They implement what you do. They're fantastic to work with. They pay on time. They don't complain about your fees and things like that. So there's a very, very big difference between those two. So you want to select who you wanted to work with on a daily basis. And that kind of moves us into the second phase, which is messaging. Before we go there, actually, because I want to sort of tie it back to the financial services. I work with advisors and sometimes they tell me, you know, I want to work with you know somebody who has at least one million dollars in assets. Perfect, and and they they think this is perfect target market, right? So yep. what's wrong yep. with that approach? Well, what's wrong with that approach is that you know someone in who's just got that one million investable assets, it may not be an optimal client for you for many many different reasons. So you, you need to have qualifiers because. Going back, I mean, when you identify, you're kind of trying to reverse engineer, right? It's not it's not that they've got a million dollars in assets that makes them an ideal client. It's really that they've got a million dollars of assets that they want to invest with the type of asset classes that you work with, that they want the same results that you can deliver, that they live, maybe you have a geographical bounding, maybe you don't. Some financial advisors work with people nationally, some only work locally. So th- there's a number of demographic factors. And then there's a a number of psychographic factors that you need to keep in mind. So you need to understand what their goals are. You know, some of them may want to retire next year. Some may want to retire in 20 years. Right. Some may want a lot of cash flow. Some may want to just increase their capital assets. So there's a whole lot of different ways that you can be dealing with clients. And in my opinion, you really want to be working with the client that you absolutely know you could get a result. So basically, if you think about it this way, if you only ever got paid for getting results, who would you work with? Like, you're not going to get paid if you don't get a result for that kind of client. So I think with that, you're going to start to describe the, the client in a lot more detail. Makes sense. Thank you. So what's the, next, what's the next stage? So the next stage is the messaging to the target market. And this is why it's very critical to choose wisely your target market. Now, messaging is all about when your target market sees your ad or sees a message from you, you want the, the reaction from them to be, hey, that's for me. 
right? And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Re- recently, my wife injured her knee. And what does she type into Google? She types in knee specialist. She doesn't just type general doctor. She types in knee specialist and then the name of the area we, we live in. And that's the exact same thing that your clients want, want to do. So they're looking at p- potentially retire, maybe a, a retirement fund, or maybe they're looking at ways to kind of diversify their investments or whatever. And you want your message to be, when they see your message and when they see your ad, they say, ah, yes, that's for me, right? Because otherwise, if you do what a lot of people do is kind of list a hundred different services that you do, we do this, we do that, we do ABC and all of that, because people think not to miss any opportunities, your message is going to get lost and diluted. It's going to become too general. The people are not going, it's not going to have the effect of people saying, hey, that's for me. It's kind of like my wife, she's looking for the knee specialist in our area. Hey, that's for me because I've currently got this, this problem with my knee and this is a specialist who can help me with that. Now, maybe that doctor can work on hands and maybe that doctor knows how to work with eyes and all of that. But really, the message would have become much more diluted if, if the doctor says, hey, we do all of this, this other stuff. She was looking for someone who can help her with her knee problem, right? And that's the exact same thing I, I want you to think about and I want the listeners to think about. So what's the message that you want to go out to the marketplace with and have that really connect? And that that doesn't mean you can't do other services and other things, but we're talking right now from a marketing campaign perspective, what niche can you dominate and then move on to another niche and add other niches as well? But uh, really, what's the message that you can go out to the market with where they will say, hey, that is for me? Right. So that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, the other thing is that maybe not, it's not as obvious is that if you pick, I mean, you could have a couple of different niches that you serve, but the problem is that, of course, you have to come up with different messaging for every single niche. So you are actually making, creating a little bit more work for you. So maybe it's better to actually perfect one approach first before we move to another one, right? Okay, absolutely, perfect. So we have the target market. We know exactly we're not serving younger families with children. We serve maybe people who are five years before retirement, let's say, and five years into retirement. That's our perfect market. And we, we really dialed our messaging. We know what they want, what they need, what they think about all the time, what they're stressed about. Where do we go next? Next, we want to choose the media that we're going to reach that target market with. And so this is kind of the bridge between your target market and your messaging. So how are you going to reach that target market with your message. And so this typically is the most expensive part of your marketing process. This is where you're advertising either in you could be advertising offline, like in print, or you could be ad- advertising online, like in Google ads or Facebook ads or organic search, those sorts of things on podcasts like we are right now. So you're going to need to think, what media is appropriate for my target market? And again, this this goes back to number one. If we've said our target market is everyone, then we're talking about mass media. And mass media is very expensive, very difficult to do. It doesn't work as well as it used to. So this is why one of the reasons why we really had to hone who is our target market because that's going to drive our media strategy very much. So if our target market is older, they might be on a different particular platform than if they're much younger. So if you're if you're targeting teenagers or something like that, they might be on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. If you're targeting an older audience, they might be on Google ads or Facebook ads or maybe on offline media like maybe a local paper or industry journal or something like that. So that's, again, a good reason why you need to know who your target market is very well, because that's going to help drive your media strategy as well. So I highly recommend with media that you hire uh, specialists in that media that you want to work with. For example, if you want to work with Facebook ads, hire a Facebook ads expert, because they'll usually pay for themselves because you'll probably spend too much and you'll probably get a lower result than someone who's an expert who does this all day, every day. Same with Google. Google ads, same with print media and everything like that. Like I said, it's the most expensive part of your marketing process. So you want to get that right and you don't want to overspend and you want to get a good, good result and a good return on investment. Makes perfect sense. Okay. We have a target market. We have the messaging. We picked the medium as well. What do we do next? Great. So, so that's basically the first phase of your marketing, which is the before phase. So that, that covers your target market, your message and your media. Now, by now, so, so someone has maybe indicated interest in what you've got to to do. So maybe they've clicked on your ad, maybe they've opted into your website, maybe they've called your office and 
said, look, I'm interested in speaking to someone. And so the next thing is lead capture. So lead capture is all about making sure we capture the people who are showing interest. And often we do that in a CRM system or customer relationship management system. And the reason we want to capture leads rather than just go straight for sales conversion, it doesn't mean that you can't sell sell to people straight away but if they're wanting to buy. But we know for a fact that only about 3% of your target market at any one time are ready to make a purchasing decision immediately, right? So it's a very, very small percentage and there's a lot of competition for those 3%. Everybody is targeting that 3% of people who are ready to buy right now. And, you know, everybody knows how to deal with someone who's ready to buy right now. You know, you're ready to sign up for a financial plan, great, sign up here and all of that. You're ready to buy a car, great, sign on the dotted line or, or whatever else. But it's really only the good marketers who know how to deal with prospects who are ready to buy in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, a year from now, two years from now. And those prospects become your pipeline of future future clients. And, you know, a lot of salespeople ignore the, this target market because they think they're tire kickers, uh, they'll come back when they're ready and all of that sort of thing. But it's very, very short-sighted. It's not building your pipeline of future prospects. And so it's very, very important to capture those leads. And then that kind of leads to, to the next phase, which is nurturing those leads. So you really want to be nurturing those leads and having them hear from you on a regular basis. Because if you think about it, do you want to buy from someone who's just a salesman who wants to make a commission? Or do you want to buy from someone who you're familiar with, who's given you a lot of value, who's basically like a like a friend rather than someone who's a total stranger? And of course, we all would prefer to deal with a friend than a total stranger. So lead capture and its very close cousin, which is lead nurturing, is super, super important. And it's what separates the sophisticated marketers from people who are just kind of going for the sale. Right. Okay. So, so this is really interesting. Sometimes, you know, I, I speak with advisors and I think they're really good in one-on-one. So if there is a hot prospect right in front of them, yeah. they know what to do and they know how to actually maybe go for the, for the conversion. And, and sometimes they say, they come back to me and say, well, this doesn't work or the market is, it's, it's difficult, you know, economy, compliance, whatever. Right. But it's, it's, it's basically they're missing the point, especially I think in financial services when the trust is really everything, right? If you go straight for the sale, I mean, the problem is you're missing out, right? Because somebody's just about to maybe trust you with their, you know, all their assets, right? So you have to maybe at some point, I would just, for example, uh, you know, say that sometimes it's maybe it's actually easier or you would advise maybe sometimes even to delay this, the, the sale on purpose just to build more trust in the meantime. Yeah, look, look, I mean, I often have people saying, can I join your coaching program? program or can I um, work with you one-on-one? And I'm like, all right, hang on. Tell me a little bit about your business. Let's let's maybe have an email exchange and decide if we're a right fit for each other. Because like I said, I don't want suboptimal clients in my business. I want to make sure that whoever I take on as a client, they're a, they're a good fit. I know I can get them a result. They're the type of person who's going to implement and take action. And it's going to be the same in most businesses. You're going to have the optimal kind of client. This is the client that I love working with that I know I can get them a result and you're going to have suboptimal people and you want to take less or none of the suboptimal people and more of the optimal people. It's going to make your your life and your business much, much better. So it, it makes a huge, huge difference. So so you're right. Sometimes you do need to delay the sale and say, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's see if we're a good fit for each other. And that in itself just creates trust. It shows people that you're not desperate to just make a quick sale no matter what. Um, you actually care about them. You care about their situation and you, you want to make a difference to them. Makes sense. Okay. So we're in the second phase right now. So we've, we've captured leads and, and typically, I mean, is this would be typically the lead would be an email, email address of a person, for example, that let's say they came, they came to the website. Is there something else that in terms of lead capture that you've seen? Yeah, look, it doesn't have to be just email. I mean, email is certainly a, a great way to capture leads, but it can be just even offline leads. If you if you get leads over the phone or you get leads in person or whatever, having that centralized database of future potential customers is massively valuable. And then, of course, keeping in touch with those clients on those prospects on a regular basis is extremely important. And, and that kind of leads us to the, to the 
the lead nurturing phase. Perfect. Okay. So we have nurturing leads and we build trust in the process. And then we come to the point that, you know, we're they're potentially ready to buy. So how, how do you think about that conversion step at the end of the, the during phase? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You know, a lot of people say, right, great. We're at conversions. Tell us some really cool closes or how do we, you know, uh, get, get the trick them into <laughs> buying or what, what are some, what what's are some line, tricks? Right? Yeah, what's the line and all of that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that sales training and things like that is not important. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, you, you do need to be able to speak to a client uh, in a compelling way. But in my view, if you've done the first five steps right, if you've chosen your target market correctly, if you've chosen your message right, if you've used the right media, you've captured leads, you've nurtured them through and you know presented yourself as someone who's kind of like a, a welcome guest rather than a pest, the sales conversion becomes really very, very effortless, very frictionless. And it's really just about, hey, are we a good fit for each other? Great. So, or are we a good fit for each other? Maybe not. Okay. If you're not, then maybe refer them to someone who can help them or or maybe politely tell them that you, you're not, not a good fit. I, either way. So in my view, if you've done the first five steps right, sales conversion becomes absolutely effortless. And there are ways that you can make sales conversion much smoother. So if you're in a kind of business where they can try before they buy, that's a really good way of, of doing it as well. It's a really good ethical way of doing it. People have, people in software have been doing that for, for a very long time. And, and you know, it's been, you can extend that to many different industries. If you can package up your service in a bit of a different way that that can be very valuable so I've, uh, you know I've got a client who offers legal services on a subscription basis so you know you can price and package up your services in very non-traditional ways and that can make a massive difference to both your business and the way that people convert into your business as well so that can make a big big difference I know you know when you're when you're part of an industry you can have a very myopic kind of view and I know most financial planners and financial advisors, they either work on an assets under management kind of model or they work on a fee-for-service model. But I would encourage people to to kind of think outside of the square. And I'm not saying either of those models are bad. I've got clients who, who work in both of those models, nothing wrong with those. But if you can think a little bit out of the square, how can I price and how can I package this up differently? How can I offer services that are complementary and will will make this the whole greater than the sum of the parts that can be very very compelling as well perfect so that makes a lot of sense because you're talking about you know maybe there's some innovation in pricing and you know what probably there is because i mean the market especially here in canada the last five years a lot of things have changed and you know australia interestingly is actually leading in the world in terms of the regulation and all the changes that are happening in the financial services industry so so that's great it's great for you guys <laughs> <laughs> but i think what you just said earlier i think a a lot of people have this kind of myopic view, as you said, that they pretty much sell the same yeah. thing, right? So, what are you know, what are some of the things that you, or maybe, maybe you have some tips for advisors to to think about? Okay, how can they differentiate their offering? And you know, yes, everybody has access to the same sort of stocks and funds, whatever whatever they offer, maybe insurance policies. But you know, how they can think about differentiating their services beyond even just the price, right? Let's leave leave price aside. We yeah. just cover that. What are some other aspects that uh, they can they can implement their businesses? Yeah. So so, so think about how you're packaging what you do. So if what you do is, if you've got access to the same stuff and essentially what you sell is a commodity, how can you slightly differentiate it to make a massive, like I'll give you an example, like if you think about cheap men's razor blades, like the Dollar Shave Club came along and they turned cheap men's razor blades into a subscription service, right? And, you know, I, I think they've right. ended up selling the business to Gillette for like a billion dollars. Right? Whoever thought that cheap men's razor blades could become a subscription service? Well, there you go. Right? So that's that's thinking a little bit out, outside of the square in terms of how you package and and price something. So. I think the same could be applied to almost any industry. Almost any industry could figure out how do I turn this into a subscription or how do I turn this into a membership model or how do I turn this into a one-off instead of a, a membership. Uh, like just looking at some of the other industries outside of where you work and seeing could that be applied to you. So as a financial advisor, I don't know. I mean, there are I could think of a number of ways that people could differentiate themselves and it may not be applicable to you or maybe, but for example, you might 
work on a subscription basis. So you might say, look, I'm not going to charge you assets under management fees. I'm not going to charge you all of those extra things, but I've got a $1,000 a month subscription service. Or you might go the other way. You might say, look, I don't charge any fees, but I'm going to charge you a percentage, and but it's going to bundle in some other kind of services. Maybe you're looking at them from a more holistic basis. Maybe you're saying, look, I'm not going to be just your financial advisor, but I've also got a lawyer on my team. I've also got an accountant on my team. We're going to basically take care of you from a from a legal basis, from an accounting basis, and that kind of thing. So offer a fuller service, maybe a, a one-stop shop kind of experience rather than the accountant having to communicate to the lawyer, the lawyer communicating back to the financial advisor. So these are just some things off the top of my head. And, and like I'm saying, some of these may or may not be applicable in, in your particular line of business. But the point is start thinking about what could be applicable from other industries to you and your industry and how can you price and package things differently? Because very often, just pricing and packaging something slightly differently is what will differentiate you. Again, like going back to that Dollar Shave Club. I mean, it's just cheap men's razors that you can get off the shelf in any drugstore, in any supermarket or or whatever, but they created a billion-dollar enterprise out of it just because they packaged it as a subscription service. Amazing. So, you know... amazing okay perfect okay so all right we have two phases covered i think we have the before and during so we have uh, we figure out our target market messaging how we reach them we uh, capture the leads nurture them convert and sale and we have a client which is great a lot of people kind of think okay that's it, that's it. my marketing is done Ed. right i mean let's go like <laughs> my marketing is done exactly but this there is another phase so let's talk about the after yeah so the after phase this is really where your real money is made and it's a shame so many people stop there they think okay the transaction's done i've got the client that's the end of my my marketing and nothing could be further from the truth because that's the most difficult the most expensive part of your marketing process is done and really when someone is a client now they trust you they've spent some money with you and they're far far more likely to buy from you than than anyone else assuming that you're taking care of them and so the first part of the after phase is delivering a world class experience we want to go above and beyond and, and give our clients a, an amazing experience and the reason we want to do that obviously we want to retain them that's very important but more than that we want to create a tribe of raving fans we we don't want just transactional clients. We want people who are raving fans because raving fans are going to make your business better in multiple ways. They're going to refer people to you. They're going to buy other products and services that you sell. They're going to be easy to deal with. They're not going to complain. They're not going to pay late and all of those sorts of things. So they're going to be wonderful to work with. And so you want to deliver a world-class experience. And again, very often, this is this can be just very, very small things. It may not even have anything to do with the deliverable of your product or service, especially if you're in a commodity business. It might be that everybody delivers their service in a, in a similar fashion. So you need to think about just some of the small things. It can be as simple as writing a handwritten note when you know someone's, you know, someone's had surgery or someone's had a birthday or someone's had had a, an event. Those small kind of things, if you've got them systemized as part of your world-class experience delivery service, it's going to make a massive difference to your business. You're going to take people from just being transactional to being raving fans of your business. And that is incredibly important. Wow. There's a lot of ideas here, right? You know, the, the world-class experience, I mean, doesn't have to be, I don't know, red carpets, limos, and dinners. I mean, you just said that, you know, this could be a handwritten note, which really makes at, at the time, you know, right time, important time for them, that, that makes a huge difference for them. So that's that's an awesome example. Okay, we've delivered a world-class experience. Where do we go next? So, so next is all about basically thinking about how are you going to increase your customer lifetime value? So how are you going to take them to the next level and the next step? And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a story. Like recently, like a few years ago, signed up with an internet service provider. And at the time, the service was great. It was fast, everything going well. Cut a long story short, a few years later, things like Netflix come out, streaming services come out, Spotify, all of that sort of stuff. And the service is no longer fit for what I need, right? You know, Netflix is slow and buffering and all of that sort of stuff. 
And so that created a churn event between me and my service provider. I started shopping around for other ISPs to try and figure out, right, can I get a faster internet in my neighborhood than the people I've got? What my ISP should have done is they should have said, look, we've noticed that you know your service is kind of maxing out on a regular basis and we can upgrade you to the next plan up or the next speed up or change you to a different technology or, or whatever it is. And first of all, they would have retained a client. They probably would have easily been able to charge me a lot more and, and I would have remained a happy client. But instead, it created a churn event. So it's incumbent on you to make sure that your client is buying things in the right amount of volume, in the right amount of frequency, in the right amount of quality, so that they continue to get a really, really good result. And that also increases their lifetime value with you. So if you can upsell them things that are going to make their life better, that are going to give them a better result, if you can take them through an ascension model where maybe they're currently on a standard version and you can take them to the premium version or a higher higher level, that's going to make a big impact to your revenue. And it's also going to make a big impact to their satisfaction because people like spending money on things that give them a result and that things that give them a better return and those sorts of things. So it's incumbent on you to make sure that you're moving people through that ascension model, that you're giving them better value and better services, and that in the process, you're increasing their lifetime value. Absolutely. And I think a really good example, especially right now in, in financial services, really is where if you're, for example, insurance advisor, or maybe just investment advisor, I, I mean, you can offer more value. You can offer a lot more in terms of financial planning, Absolutely. right? And, you know, there's additional fee with that, right? So that's, you know, they do business with you. They trust you. There's a great opportunity to, to offer more value. Or as you said earlier, actually, just offer services of other professionals and just really offer more than, than you could just maybe offer yourself. But, you know, there's some lawyers, accountants, for example, they can help with estate planning and, uh, you know, legal issues and, and so on. So so having this network of professionals that's, that's increasing your value of your business as well. So there's really unlimited ways of thinking how we can deliver more value to the client and at the same time, as you said, increase the lifetime value. And and the other thing, really, you've got a gold mine in your past clients as well. So maybe maybe clients have moved on for whatever reason. Maybe they had a bad experience. Maybe they decided to try somebody else or whatever. So running a reactivation campaign, so where you can win uh, past clients back, that can be a very, very quick win in terms of getting people and increasing their lifetime value as well. That's a good point as well, of course. Okay, so, and I think we're last square right now of, uh, of the one-page marketing plan. So We are, we are. Time flies when you're having fun, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> so the last one is all about orchestrating and stimulating referrals. And I purposely called it that because I wanted to indicate that it's something active. It's not something passive. A lot of people kind of hope and pray for referrals. And, you know, it's nice when somebody remembers you and sends you a referral. It's kind of like, you know, getting a free lunch or something like that. But, you know, we we can't rely on that. We need to have a system for orchestrating and creating and stimulating referrals. And so this is incredibly important. One of the best ways of doing this, and you mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast, you mentioned that I had a lot of reviews on Amazon, and I do. And a lot of authors come and ask me, how did you get so many reviews on Amazon? It's almost like a thousand reviews. And, you know, I use a very, very secret strategy and I'll tell, I'll reveal it right now. I ask people to leave me a review, right? So very, very often the best way to get whatever you want in life is to simply ask for it. And so when people join my mailing list or when someone compliments me on the book or whatever, uh, I say, thank you so much. Uh, and I'd massively appreciate it if you left me a review on Amazon and many, many people do comply with that. So the point being is that you can ask or you can f- pre-frame your new clients and say, look, Mr. Mr. Client, you are the perfect kind of client for us. And one of the reasons that we can keep our uh, fees reasonable is because we get a lot of referrals. So I'm going to do a fantastic job for you. I'm going to deliver you a great experience and get you a great result. But I'd really love you to keep in mind a few people that I could help who are similar to you because you know they say birds of a feather flock together and that is very true. So if you've got an ideal client, very likely they have friends or family or colleagues who would also be ideal clients for you as well. So one of the best strategies is simply to ask for referrals. Now, a lot of people feel
feel uncomfortable asking referrals that they feel like like you know they're begging for business or 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 trying to you know push people into giving them referrals and so you need to understand the psychology of referrals so people don't refer business to you because they're trying to do you a favor people refer business to you because they're trying to look good and they're trying to and it's your job to help them look good and here's what i mean like if you think back to the last time that a, you referred a friend or a family member to a movie or a or to a restaurant that you enjoyed why did you do that were you trying to do a favor to the movie producer or, or to the restaurant chain no unlikely it's because you had a great time and you thought you know i want my friend to go and have a really good time so exactly the same with people referring to you and your business. So how can you make them look good? How can you give them of something of value that they can pass on? So could they pass on a voucher from your business? Could they pass on pass on a book that you've written or a report that you've written or, or a piece of content that you've created? So if they hear of someone who's needing financial services and you've written the definitive guide to retirement planning, that's something of value that they can give to their friend. And it's not them kind of Absolutely. creating pressure or anything like that. It's all about them giving value to, to their network. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. Wow. So we actually managed to cover all the different, uh, all of the, those nine elements, uh, components of the one page marketing plan. And so, so that's fantastic. But I just, another question about just maybe I should have even asked this earlier, but what are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen small business make when it comes to, when it comes to marketing? The, the biggest mistake is a, a mindset mistake. And, you know, it's kind of like, People thinking I'm a financial planner, or uh, so I'm in the financial planning business, or I'm an IT guy, I'm in, in the IT delivery business, or or uh, I'm a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever. That's fine as an employee. As an employee, you only need to think about the delivery of the product. But as the business owner, you need to change your mindset and and understand that you're now in the business of marketing financial services, or you're in the business of marketing IT services. So you need to think of yourself as a marketer first, and in, then in the business of delivering what you do second. Now, delivering what you do is super important. As I mentioned, you, we want to create raving fans. We want to retain clients. But no one will ever know how good your product or service is before they buy. They only Before they buy, they only know how good your marketing is. And so it's super important that you become a great marketer because people will never find out how good your product or service is unless you're a really good marketer. Makes, makes a lot of sense. All right, you mentioned earlier a term that I'd like to also clarify for people. So you mentioned direct response marketing. So what really is direct response marketing and how is this different from you know other forms of marketing? Yeah, so direct response marketing, so there are two kind of branches of marketing. There's mass marketing, and that's kind of the stuff that you see Nike, Apple, very large companies do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it works, it's effective, but there's two things, right? So mass marketing means you need to spend a lot of money to get cut through because especially now, like before, everything was a lot more consolidated. There were maybe one or two newspapers in the local area. There was a few TV channels. And so you could reach a very big mass audience relatively cheaply. Now we've got uh, millions of blogs, we've got Facebook, we've got social media, everything is very fragmented. So it's extremely expensive to reach a mass audience. So big companies like Apple, Nike, Coca-Cola, all of that can afford that, right? They've got budgets in the millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. They've got years to kind of get a result. As a small business, it's unlikely that you've got hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on marketing, and it's unlikely that you've got years to kind of get a result. You have maybe $10,000, $20,000, $100,000 to spend, and you need to get a result like this financial year. So with that, this is why you need to be super focused, and you need to be focused on a type of marketing called direct response marketing. What direct response marketing is, it's basically marketing that's very, very measurable, where we can say, look, we spent $1,000 on this campaign. We had 100 leads come from that campaign. Out of the 100 leads, we had 50 who seemed like they're progressing to the next level, and then 10 purchased. And then of those purchases, we made $10,000 in revenue. So everything's measurable at every step. And we're, we're actually asking people to do something. So it's not just awareness or like a billboard that you drive past. Like you don't know why you bought that Coca-Cola. Was it the billboard? Was it the ad on TV or, or whatever? You don't really know. It's just based on awareness and brand awareness and all of that. Now, as a small 
business, you can't afford that type of marketing. So you need the type of marketing where you run an ad and someone will respond to that ad. And that response might be a click to your website. That response might be an opt-in on your email list. It could be a phone call to your office, any of those sorts of things. So you need marketing that's trackable so that you can track on this marketing campaign, we spent this much. Did we make money? Did we lose money? Did we break even? And so a lot of business owners don't even know that. And so direct response marketing allows us to track every level of the marketing process and then figure out, are we creating a return on investment? Because at the end of the day, the only reason that you do marketing is to create a return on investment. You want to spend $1,000 and get $2,000 back in in profits or, or much more. So that's really the point of direct response marketing. We're actually asking someone to respond to do something and then we can track those responses and work it right back to a return on investment. Absolutely. Makes sense. Okay. So another question about, you know, just uh, as you found with maybe with working with your clients or one-on-one or just from the, the clients that purchased your book, what are some of the things that people struggle the most when it comes to understanding what really comes down to when it comes down to really to doing something in terms of, you know, creating a, a campaign that actually works so really the question is you know what do you think is the most really misunderstood when it comes to marketing right now i think one of the biggest things i find is business owners especially struggle with implementation so if you if you're an entrepreneur so it kind of goes back to and i cover this briefly in the book but uh, i work on it much more extensively with my one-on-one clients there's three types of people you need in a business to make a business work well there's the entrepreneur role which is the visionary the person who takes the risks and all of that that's people like you me like the people who are listening into this. So we like to take a risk. We like to create a business. We've got vision. We've got ideas and all of those sorts of things. And so you've probably got that role covered off. The second type of person that you need is the specialist. So the specialist will help you deliver your vision and make it a reality. And so very often that's also the entrepreneur. So you might be a specialist at being a, a lawyer, a doctor, a financial advisor, whatever. You know how to do the actual work and the delivery of the work. You may need other specialists in the business like venture capitalists or lawyers or or whatever, but you know how to assemble those. So usually I find most businesses have those two roles covered off, the entrepreneur role and the specialist role. The role I find most missing, especially in smaller businesses, is that manager role. So the manager role is the person who comes in every day, makes sure clients are taken care of, makes sure campaigns are happening, makes sure that things are happening from a marketing perspective on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And this is the role I find most missing. And and as an entrepreneur, this stuff bores us to death. Like, you know, and we either just don't do it because it's too boring. We're onto the next idea. Repeatable. Exactly. Or we get, we get too busy and we kind of drop it. And so you need someone in the business who's worrying about your marketing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So the one who's kind of re- sending the thank you handwritten note to the client, who's remembering to send the monthly newsletter, if that's what you want to do in your business, who's kind of writing the blog post, who's doing some of the content marketing, who's doing all of those implementation things. So these are the things that you, me, the people listening in just either won't do or we get bored with or we don't have time to do it. And so you need someone, you need that role in your business. And like in my business, I have a team who helps me with all of that sort of stuff. And that means that I can do the fun stuff like being on a podcast right now or creating my next book or coming up with an idea for a new campaign or working one-on-one with clients. That stuff I love doing every day. The, The kind of the other stuff, the operational stuff, the stuff that, you know, responding to social media posts and, you know, reaching out to podcasts and all of that. I would never do that because I I get bored after five minutes, right? So I've got a team, but it's super important, right? I wouldn't have been on this podcast if my my team didn't either reach out or respond to you and set all, all of this up, right? So it's super, super important, but, you know, I'm not good at that. And instead of trying to turn your weaknesses into kind of stronger weaknesses, it's better to staff those because there are people who just love doing the same stuff every day, who love following checklists, who love creating checklists, who love doing all of that sort of stuff. And just hire those people to to take care of that for you. It will change your life. Like you're not going to feel guilty about all of the stuff that you're not doing. And then you're going to get some of that stuff done and, and get a good result. So really understanding people's strategies is super, super important as part of your team and making 
sure that you get that covered off. Makes a lot of sense. Okay, so a couple of uh, couple of questions here before we wrap up here. So let's talk about maybe new advisors thinking about joining the industry. And of course, I mean, you're, you're helping a lot of different businesses, and a lot of different, many different you know, sectors, and it's not just financial services. But let's say somebody has never really tried on their own in their own business, and they, they just decided basically to go on their own. They're looking at the one-page marketing plan, how they should be thinking about implementing this, how much time they should actually devote to this, or what would be basically from your experience, what would make them most successful in actually looking at your structure, the, the framework that you created, and all the way to the actually implementing the campaign? Because, you know, as long if they don't implement the campaign, it's like financial planning. You may have a perfect financial plan, but if you implement the recommendations, nothing really happens, right? There's no value. Of course. So, so yes, you're right. It starts with a plan, and then you really need to think about what tools do I need? What assets do I need to create? What processes do I need to put in place? And so tools are things like your CRM systems, your content management systems, assets and financial planners understand this well, like income comes from assets, right? So if I if I have stocks, I can derive dividends. If I own a rental property, I can derive rental income. So I love that financial planners really understand this really well. And the same is true of your business. You need to start building those marketing assets because income and especially prospects, lead flow, conversions come from marketing assets. You need to build those marketing assets in your business. And the last thing is you need to deploy those tools and assets with processes. So you need to decide what are we going to do from a marketing perspective on a daily, on a weekly, on a monthly basis, and then put the put those into place, get the right people executing on those and get it done really. Because most people kind of, they don't lack the marketing ideas, they lack the marketing implementation. And that's where it falls down a lot of the time. The implementation. Awesome. Thanks for underlying that. So Alan, what are some of the projects that are really excited, that you are excited in your business over the next, you know, six, 12 months? Is there, I'm sure you're working on a bunch of projects at this point. Is there anything exciting? I am. I am. I am. Yeah, look, I, I'm doing a, a tour of the US in July and August. I'm really looking forward to that. So I'll be speaking at quite a few events. I'll be running a couple of mastermind workshops, one in New York, one in San Francisco. So that's going to be really cool. We're coming out with a course version of the book as well. I'm really excited about that. So we've got lots of cool oh. stuff uh, on the horizon. And yes, yeah, so it's so great because I get to wake up every day and work on the stuff that I love working on. That's awesome. Okay, Alan, so this podcast is all about growing your practice. So do you have any parting words of wisdom for the listeners? Just one thing when it comes to marketing. Yep. So I'm going to go back to what, what I said earlier around the mindset shift. You, you're in the business of marketing financial services. You're not in the business of just being doing financial services. So you're in the business of marketing. That mindset shift alone will be massively amazing for your business. It'll make it all the difference. Great advice. Okay. So, Alan, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe ask you a question, how would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now? Sure. Best way to reach me is at, at my website, which is successwise.com. You can grab a copy of my book on Amazon or any other bookstore that you like, Barnes & Noble, all, all the rest. Be sure to leave me a review. See, I'm, uh, I'm asking for, <laughs> for a review. And you can download the um, one-page marketing plan canvas for free on my website, which is successwise.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from from any of your listeners. Wonderful. Okay, we'll link up uh, all those resources in the show notes so you can check it out there. Alan, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Paul. It was an absolute pleasure being on the show. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.